Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're looking at now the Monday, Thursday Tachanun. So Tachanun, the again, the Talmud says after uh, the person finishes their required prayer, the Amidah, you don't dash off. You add some personal words, and uh, this somehow idea sort of expanded, exploded into Tachanun, um, penitential prayers. And we know that there were various things that were different about Monday and Thursday, going back to Talmudic times. They apparently were market days. People came from villages to the larger towns to market. That's probably why Torah reading was added on those specific days. So there's Torah reading. And there then, because there was communal gathering, there evolved um, other things that were said on Monday, Thursday, that were not said on other days. And this is what we call the expanded Tachnun. And we know, because I said that um, Sephardim and thus Hasidim also include in that ex- in Tachnun every day, not in the expanded Tachnun, but every day, um, Ashamnu, penitential prayers, also Hashem, Hashem, El Rachum, Vechanun, right? The description of God's 13 attributes of mercy, which goes back to, you know, uh, Exodus, the, what God taught Moshe to say uh, after the sin of the golden calf, which midrashically God says, you know, whenever I'm, it seems like I'm angry. B'nai Israel should say this phrase to remind me of my attributes of mercy and I'll calm down. So that we find is familiar to most of us Ashkenazim from Slichot, right? But Sephardim um, and Hasidim add that every day. And over time, there developed extra stuff that was said Monday and Thursday. Um, I thought, oh my God, it's going to be so horrible to try to get through the seven paragraph Tachnun. And that's because I generally daven from a traditional Sidur, and I did not realize that our conservative, our contemporary conservative Sidurim have already gotten rid of most of the seven paragraph Tachanun for us. So I'm on page 128 in the little fat Sim Shalom, 59 in the Slim Shalom. In looking over this yesterday carefully, I noticed that actually even these two versions of the conservative Sidur are somewhat different from each other, okay? So I guess I would say, by way of introduction, and I'll try to say it by way of conclusion, that since Tachanun is, in its very nature, a non-statutory prayer, meaning not exactly required by classical halacha, it does not have a bracha formulation, Baruch HaTashem, you should do for Tachanun, whatever you find meaningful as a supplication. So whether that means you add these things or Monday, Thursday, or you add your own thing, or whatever you choose to do, um, I guess I'll say that. So in the classical traditional Sidur, Tachanun is seven paragraphs long, although in the Sak Sidur, 
It's somehow divided into eight paragraphs. I don't think they have an extra paragraph. I think they divided one of the seven into eight. There are various, uh, this was added in the early Middle Ages. There are various legends about it. One legend is that there are a group of rabbis and they were shipwrecked and they were so grateful that they were, that Hashem caused a miracle to rescue them from this shipwreck and they survived that they composed this extra part of Tachanun. Um, so this extra part of Tachanun is not in the earliest Sidurim, you know, 800-ish. It's added later. And by the way, Sephardim also have an expanded Monday, Thursday Tachanun, but there is, is different. There's some overlap with the Ashkenazi expanded Tachanun, and there's some non-overlap, so it's not identical. So I'm going to refer to this as the seven-paragraph Tachanun, even though in our conservative Sidur, it's actually five. Everyone with me? Okay. By the way, um, the traditional seven-paragraph Tachanun, unlike some of what we're going to find in the conservative Tachanun, is all um, singular. Sorry. It's all plural. It's all communal. So um, in Tachanun, the only thing that we've seen is singular is the psalm, Psalm 6, right? Written in the first person. Everything else is in the plural. The entire expanded Tachanun is in the plural, except we'll see our conservative Sidur introduced a paragraph that was not originally there as one of the alternatives, and that is in the singular, right? But traditionally, everything is in the plural. Um, and what our Sidur has done, our conservative Sidur is, and if you're in a traditional Sidur, you're just not going to be able to follow this, is that our conservative Sidur, by giving it uh, numerals one through five in one edition, Roman numerals, or Aleph through He in the other edition, has set it up as these are alternatives. And even you have that instruction. On Monday and Thursday, start with one or more of the passages. And, right, so our conservative Sidur has already recognized in its instructions that this is really, really long, that to give people time to say everything would take a lot of extra time. I think the de facto assumption is that there will be some super speed daveners who will feel moved or obligated to go through all of it, right? Whereas other people will say one or more of the following selections. In the original traditional Tachanun, that's not how it is. It's you say all of it. And by the way, this part of Tachanun is said standing traditionally. I think we don't, I'm not sure we observe that punctiliously, at Temple Betham in Morning Minion. But the opening extra Monday, Thursday section traditionally is said standing, and then you sit down for Vayomer David El God when you go down on your hand. That's on your arm. That's when you actually sit down. But the opening part is standing. I'm not sure I know what the history of that is exactly. Maybe because the opening part traditionally in some Sidurim also had Ashamnu with it. Don't know. Okay, but Traditionally, it said standing. And we're going to take a look at these five passages. Ilana, 
you have a yeah, question? Just, just a question about the numbering, Kaya. Yes. Okay, so you're making a distinction between five paragraphs, I understand, Alex Ruhey, and seven paragraphs. So Are if you... you look at a traditional Sidur, yeah. the expanded Monday, Thursday, Tachnun, is in fact seven paragraphs long. So you're saying that the the expanded version that is the the portion the expanded portion only for Monday and Thursday Monday Thursday paragraphs yeah say it again the expanded portion I didn't hear the end of your question okay so what you're the seven paragraphs you're describing is the Monday Thursday expanded Tachna just the expansion yeah before Vayomer David Elgad Okay. Okay. Yes. So it's so five I'm, paragraphs versus seven paragraphs. But they're, and being, they're different paragraphs. Mm-hmm. That was being prior to, um, by Yomer David El God. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So the expanded first portion of Tachnun, which is seven paragraphs in the traditional Sidur, in our conservative Sidur is five paragraphs, but they're not the same paragraphs. And, it's also been changed to some of them are the same and some of them are not. We're going to go over that in a moment. Um, and it's been also changed to you may pick one of these selections. OK, as alternatives. Um, so they've so we have five. But of those five, they're not all from the traditional. Correct. Seven. If you Yes. Let's we're, we're going to go ahead and look at them. OK, so paragraph one. So what that means is. If you are studying at the moment from only a traditional sedur and you do not have one of the conservative sedurim in front of you, you will now, starting at this moment forward, be slightly lost in the discussion. So for those who are listening online from far away and only have a traditional sedur, I'm sorry, this is following the conservative sedur from here on in. Okay, so I'm on page 128 or page 59. So paragraph one, that which is labeled Roman numeral one or Aleph and uh, not even paragraph two. Wow. Okay. Um, could I just have a question? The people who are here, please look at me and raise your hand. Uh, if, if you're on camera, um, how many people have the slim shalom? Raise your hand. All right. And how many people have the big sim shalom? Raise your hand. Okay. So right away, we're confused. So paragraph one, uh, or Aleph, is in fact from the, is the opening of the traditional seven paragraph Tachnun. Okay. So I want everyone to take a moment and just, I'm going to give you a minute to just skim through that paragraph. And then I'm going to say, tell me what it's about. Okay. Just pause, have a look. Alan, I'll come to your question in a little bit. Not yet. Alan, ask your question now, and I'll tell you if I wanted to deal with it now. It's not a question. It was just raising my hand regarding the, the something else. It's moot. Okay. Moot. Okay. So everyone take a look at one. All right. Could someone give me a summary of what paragraph one is about in one sentence? We invoke God's compassion to forgive us, even though we don't merit it. Good. We sin. God, please be merciful. We sin, semicolon. God, please be merciful. Fair enough. It's a reasonable, right? And, and it's, 
it's not only God, please be merciful, but it, there's uh, an assertion that God is merciful. Or yes, God, God, God is, is merciful, and we need your mercy because mm-hmm. we are sinful, right? Sorry to sound a little Christian about it, but that's what it basically says. We sin, God, we rely on your merciful nature, okay? Um, and that is the opening of the traditional seven-paragraph Tachnon also. So both editions of the conservative Sidur preserve that. Okay, before I go on to paragraph two, I will digress. Vehu Rachum, this is the opening line. God is compassionate. God is compassionate. This is a quote from the Bible, one of the, one of the prophets. Um, God is compassionate. He forgives sin rather than destroying Right, right, because if God didn't forgive sin, God would punish and therefore destroy. Right? He abundantly holds back God's, I don't want to say he, God abundantly holds back God's anger, and does not stir up all of God's anger. Okay? Rachum, um, I want to digress on the word Rachum. So Rachum, you could translate it as merciful or compassionate or something like that. Um, we're, we're not going to get too hung up on the moment about merciful versus compassionate or whatever, but obviously it has to do with the word rachamim, that God has rachamim. So rachum means God is infused with or full of rachamim. Is that a fair statement? Hold on, Verit. Hold on, Verit. Right? Everyone sort of agree with me? Rachum means God is full of rachamim. A, 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 a parallel word which we frequently use is chanun, right? Which means God is full of mercy or something like that, right? The word being lichonein or chanina, which means forgiveness or mercifulness or something like that. So this helps us understand, I'm, I'm going to left field now for a moment, this has, helps us understand the word baruch. So there is a common misconception that the word baruch means God is blessed, right? Because in Hebrew, the form pa'ul frequently or usually means the passive. Amur means it is said. Shamur katu, means katu. it is Guarded, katuv means it is written. So baruch should mean it is blessed. God is blessed, which mm-hmm. leads us to this theological question that everyone always asks, which is what? We bless God. God needs our blessing. So in fact, that's probably not what baruch means. There's a different meaning of the pa'ul form. And that meaning is infused with or full of hmm. because rahum does not mean god is treated with compassion right it's not a passive so amur shamur and katuv are all passive right which leads people to think baruch is passive god is blessed which implies that we're the ones who bless god Right, but there's another use of the pa'ul which is not passive. It means full of or infused with. So rachum does not mean 
God is acted mercifully upon in the passive voice. It means God is filled with rachamim. Chanun does not mean we are gracious to God. Okay. It means God is filled with chanina, graciousness. So baruch probably really means God is filled with blessing. So that understanding that it's not the passive pa'ul, but rather the pa'ul, which means full of or infused with, actually changes it from the passive to the active. So in that understanding of the word baruch, it doesn't mean blessed art thou, which implies we bless God, which implies we are the active ones and God is the passive one. Rather, baruch means one who is infused with blessing, meaning it makes God the source of blessing for us rather than the recipient of our blessings. I'm going to say that, I'm going to say that last line again, because that's the, that's the take home. Baruch, if Baruch is understood to be like a, a grammatical construction, like Rachum or Chanun, then it doesn't mean passive recipient of X. It actually means source of X, which is totally the opposite. Hmm. Okay. So Baruch, so Baruch Atah Hashem probably means full of blessing are you, God, ruler of the universe, rather than blessed are you. Did everyone follow that? If you didn't follow it, raise your hand right now. Oh. Yeah, Alan, Alan, unmute. Can you say this one? Because this is a fundamental change in yes. how we do prayer. Yes. I'd like, I'd like to hear it one more time so it yes. really sinks in. Baruch means full of or infused with blessing. The source of blessing, just like Rachum means that God is the source of Rachamim. Chanun means God is the source of Chain or Chanina. Uh, she's still here. Vered, are you still there? Vered, if you, when you come back, can you think of any other pa'ul words that are like rachum v'chanun, meaning they don't mean passive voice, they mean fullness of? I'm not sure I can think of any, because that's not how it's used in modern Hebrew, by the way. In modern Hebrew, it would just be the passive voice. Katuv means it is written. Baruch means it is blessed, or he is blessed, okay? And when we say, in two days... At the end of Shoshana Yaakov, Arur Haman, Asher Bikesh Abdi, Ubaruch Mordechai, Hayehudi, cursed is Haman, and blessed is Mordechai. We are definitely saying Baruch in the passive voice. We are saying, we bless Mordechai. Okay? But it is entirely possible, and there are many modern writers who say this, that Baruch HaTashem does not mean blessed are you God but rather full of blessing are you, God. Meaning the Baruch HaTashem formula is declaring God is the source of blessing rather than God is the recipient of our blessing. Now, that might or might not be the pshat, okay? 
Some people say that is the pshat of what Baruch Hashem. Other people say, no, no, no. Levarech means to sort of bless in the sense of like to praise or acknowledge. And Baruch Hashem really means we praise you, O God. We acknowledge you, O God. It definitely doesn't mean we bless you, O God, right? It definitely does not mean like, oh, Hashem, I'm going to give you a bracha, okay? In, in the simple sense that we say, I'm going to give you a blessing. So in Pshat, it might mean, if it's the past, if Baruch is the traditional pas- passive, it might mean praised are you. That would be a much better translation than blessed are you. Or it might be interpreted as like Rahum, not the passive voice at all, but rather the use of the Pa'ul form, which means full of, which then means source of, right? In Rahum, if I'm saying Rahum, what, God is Rahum, what am I saying? Am I saying I have compassion about on God? Or am I saying God is He's full of full. compassion, infused with compassion, and therefore the source of compassion? Analogously, in Baruch, I might be saying, God is the source of blessing, infused with blessing, the one who bestows blessing, just like God is the one who is the one who bestows Rachamim or Chanina. I, I want okay. to say something. Alan, then Vered. Okay. Um, is there a source that deals with this, with this, because this is a, I've never heard this and it's absolutely fascinating to That's me. That's because you didn't listen to our Birchot HaShachar classes, Alan, you were absent. Okay. Uh, you go back be. and listen to the very, very beginning. There's some lesson on the bracha formulation. Okay. And when we, t- we talked about it, so that's fine, but yes, right. But I didn't make it up just so you know. No, no, no. I know you didn't make it up. I never make anything it. up. Yeah. All right. God forbid, Avi. God yeah. forbid you, yeah. you should do that. But just, is there like in, in, in the, in the Talmud or in some of the association about a discussion about Baruch somewhere that deals with this or? Well, that's a great question. Or I'm going to, uh, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to frame your question differently. Um, the question is, is there someone who of the classical commentators earlier than some hippie people in the 1970s? <laughs> in America, who says that that's what Baruch means. I am sure there are. I don't know, and I will work on that. That will be my homework assignment. What do we have? Do we have, I'm going to put it in air quotes, traditional Jewish sources who interpret Baruch that way. I'm sure we do. I'd have to hunt it down. And how early does it go back? And is that what classical rabbinic thinking in the Talmud thought it meant? Is a good question. Okay, I'll work okay. on that. I'll work Thank on that. Thank you, Avi. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Michael O. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I said Verit. Verit, then Michael. Verit, then both Michaels. All right. Okay. I mean, we're going to uh, get hung up on it. All right. Go ahead. Boker, Boker Tov. Yeah. Um, I have a, a quick, uh, actually, two comments. Okay. One is about the word Baruch, Hanun, Rachum. Yes. Those verbs are coming from Binyan Piel. And, and the classic Pa'ul form exists only in Binyan Pa'al. Hmm. So when you go to right. pause, pause, hold on, before, let me go before you on. So in other words, what Verit is saying, if I can get rid of the grammatical terms, is Rahum comes from Lirachem, would be the verb. 
and lichanein, which might be lichonein, I don't know. Lichonein. Yeah. Lichonein. Which mean, and that fits with barech, because it's livarech. We don't say, right. when we bless someone, we don't say livroch, we say livarech. Right. Go ahead, Jerry. So, so what, what okay. it means that all the paul, the normal paul are coming from paal and everything that looks like paul, but comes from a different binyan, which actually is only PL extra. Yeah. And they do not have the meaning of a passive. Yeah. They have a different meaning, like we explained now, full of mercy. Good. Of compassion or a source of compassion. It is not translated as a passive form. Yes. Good. Toda. Vered, your homework assignment is can you find or come up with other examples of that other than Rahum, Hanun, and Baruch? Are there any other PLs that look, mimic like the call passive that are really not passive? They're not passive. Because that's a very, very interesting question for those of us who know enough Hebrew to be nerdy enough to want to know the answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> and the, I have yeah. another quick comment. Okay, please. That, that the word rachamim, the noun rachamim, in my mind, I often relate it to the word rechem, womb. Yes. yes. And we talked about kind of translated into motherly compassion or a lot of compassion that is not just compassion, but it's a little bit extra compassion. Deeper. Yes, correct. Deeper. Correct. Um, thank you. I will say one or two sentences about that, which is a very short version of a much longer topic. In the great bloodbath battles over monotheism versus polytheism in the 800s, 700s, and 600s BCE, which we read about in the Book of Kings and in the Literary Prophets, and there were bloodbaths back and forth. When the monotheists won out, part of monotheism was all of the functions of all of the different gods got collapsed into the one god. So there was no longer a war god and a fertility god and a something else, God, they all were folded into the one deity. That deity was conceived of as male because our ancestors of over two and a half millennia ago were simply not philosophically capable of conceiving of a deity that was non-gendered. That's a modern thing, right? So we can't fault them. We can't fault them for that. It wasn't on their radar screen yet. They Assume that that deity was male rather than female. We might choose to fault them for that. Okay. Um, and so all of the functions of all the other gods got collapsed or telescope, telescope, I don't know, collapsed, loaded into the one deity. The irony then becoming the masculine one deity then became responsible for certain kinds of functions that had in the past been responsibility of the female deities, such as fertility. Female deities is a fancy way of saying goddesses, such as fertility. So then we have the quirk 
where we end up saying Hashem is responsible for fertility, right? Which we read about everywhere in the Torah, right? And then we have the linguistic work where we end up saying God treats us with rachamim, which means womb feeling. (laughs) That's what rachamim means. It means the feeling or emotion that only a mother can have. Sorry, Mm. being sexist. I'm just telling you what it says. I didn't make it up. Okay. Rachami means the kind of feeling that only a mother can have because towards what is implied in all that towards an offspring because she carried that offspring around in her womb. Okay. That's what generates that kind of feeling, which is kind of why most of the time you know, the world has changed somewhat, but still most of the time when kid, little kids fall and they cry, they say, mommy, usually. Okay, still, right? So, um, Avi, hold on. So I can tell I'm getting myself in hot water here, but hold on. Okay, so we have the male deity has womb feeling. So I just want to say it a little bit stronger than what Vered said. And we, because we've been reading it for over two and a half millennia in the Torah, we just sort of take that for granted. God has compassion. Hashem has rachamim. But I don't want you to take for granted how odd that locution is. And I want us to recognize that that locution is the product of a very complicated evolution of people's thinking, or our ancestors thinking about God. Okay. Larry felt the need to jump in. I just felt the need to change my <clears throat> picture so that you could all see your the, off, the offspring. Skipping a general, skipping a generation. Yes. How males nonetheless can feel that very feminine, maybe what is perceived to be a feminine feeling of woundness of taking care of the offspring. Yes. Thank you for the, the, for the, the, uh, you're correct. And of course, let's, I, I just want to point out that you know, Hashem feels Rachamim, meaning the deity who's conceived of as in other places as he's an old man with a white beard, like in the book of Daniel, who sits on a throne and the books are brought to him and opened up and everyone's decree is there, right? That old man, white beard God has womb feeling. And that's kind of the theology that was left to us by this, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of evolution. Okay, that was a long digression about Rahum Hanun Baruch. Okay, we're not going to go further in Tafnun today than the first paragraph, so I'll pause for comments. Michael O, then Michael H, then Ilana. Michael O. Uh, Rabbi, I thought this is very, very fascinating. I really appreciate uh, how you frame this. I, I also think that what it does is it turns, you know, it, it's another reminder that God doesn't need our prayer. It's yeah, a the whole Baruch thing, correct. And, and it's an right. act, as an active, as a active, actively something act, some thing above us actively yes. full of compassion, yeah. then it's our job 
to bring that into this world. And, uh, and I also think that it relates back to Parsha Vayikra uh, last uh, uh-huh. Shabbat because uh, the idea of, of every, of, of, of people, of humans drawing near to God uh, at the Mishkan is, is this idea of love. And so, yes. something, so it could be seen as feminine. Or it could be and see, it could be seen. Yes, right. Yeah. Although Larry would disagree with you about that. Larry, Grandpa Larry would disagree with you about that. Um, well, feminine, uh, or, ma- well, feminine yeah. or masculine. Right. I'm not going to get right. I don't want right. to get in an yeah. argument. By the way, for sure, blessed are you for Baruch Hashem is the worst possible translation. It is the most misunderstood. It could be if it really is a traditional passive, it's more something like Baruch in the same. Uh, in the sense of acknowledge or praise. Praised are you, if you want to keep it in the traditional passive, is a much better translation, which makes much more sense theologically than blessed are you. Blessed are you means it is sort of the, the least well understanding, the least good understanding of what that line means. I understand that it's traditional, and I understand that I am criticizing it. Yes, that is correct. So it might be full of blessing, but that which might not be the shot. But if the pshat is passive, it really means praised are you. And levarech, um, uh, you know, it's the word that's used when Jacob came to see Pharaoh, right? The first thing he says, he probably doesn't bless Pharaoh. He probably comes in and says, oh, great Pharaoh, or something. I am pleased to meet you. I am honored to meet you, or something like that. Meaning it's a, it's a locution that means to praise and acknowledge. Not, I'm going to give you a bracha, which implies that I have something that you will benefit from, and I will bestow it upon you. That's probably the most egregious misunderstanding of it. Okay, Michael H., I held you off. That's okay. Uh, it, it occurred to me that even if we translate it as blessed or, or praised, that it may not be suggesting that we have power to do that. Yeah. It may simply be uh, reciting what we know from 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 the Torah or, or believe from the uh, and from the prophets that that the celestial beings, the angels, are in fact doing that. For example, we mimic that when we do the kadusha and say kadosh 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 mm-hmm. about God. So, so we're not really saying that we're even if we translate it. Uh, in the standard ways. Yeah. We're not necessarily saying that we are doing our blessing God, but rather acknowledging that, that the other celestial. Well, what are the celestial beings doing, Michael? I want to argue with you on that. They're praising God. That's, that's my argument. They're not blessed. They're not blessing in the sense that we in English mean blessing. By the way, that raises the question of what is Baruch Kivod Hashem Mima Komo, which regardless of what Baruch means, um, is a hard phrase to translate. Okay. I, I don't want to get into that right now. Um, but, but at any rate, I, I'm fine with you saying we, we imitate the celestial beings, but I still think that what they do is they praise okay. rather than blessing in our common English sense of the word blessing. Okay. Uh, Ilana. Um, uh, two little things. One is um, I, I still don't understand the distinction between bless and praise. Why is that an important distinction? And my second question has to do with 
um, if um, traditionally yeah. uh, God is conceived of as male, yeah. um, isn't gender a, uh, well, human and, and I guess biological quality, which would uh, go against the idea of God transcending those um, characteristics, right? I mean, I don't think people in the year 800 BCE had any thought about God transcends those characteristics. Is that more like later in commentaries? Uh I mean, and and look in the Talmud, by the way, uh, you, you could even say, I think, I mean, I don't know, you'd have to delve. Uh, you know, I don't know that the Talmud says he is neither masculine nor feminine, but possesses okay. masculine and feminine qualities. The Zohar says that, by the way, and the Zohar also doesn't say, Kabbalah doesn't say God transcends these qualities. It says God has masculine and feminine yeah. qualities that need to be united rather than be separated. Right. It's okay. still in, it's still gendered internally. Okay, I think the idea of a God beyond gender, you you know, you'd have to. It's another hard question, which I will not accept as my homework. Um, (laughs) Anyone else can, which is which is where are the first Jewish thinkers who say God is beyond gender entirely and all gendered language is a human metaphor and therefore a falsehood, because, of course, God is beyond gender. And, and I st- like, I, said, I, I just want to say, I, I think that's a, I think framing in that way, I think is a modern way of thinking. I don't even know if, if you know, uh, so I don't know. Um, I mean, Maimonides says everything we say about God is, is a metaphor and God is pure intelligence. So I guess you'd say, well, Rambam would say God is beyond gender, but I don't beyond, think Rambam takes the next. Hum- I don't think Rambam still ever takes the next step and says, therefore, the word who, H-Vav-Aleph, meaning right, he, right. H-E, is a meaningless word to use. Right. I mean, I guess um, if I remember correctly, there's, and again, this this now that you mention it, it is later, but a kind of prohibition against anthropomorphism, really. Right, but in, in, in conceiving of God, and no, God. there's a pro- prohibition that's in anthropomorphism in in art. I just want to say, I think anthropomorphism is everywhere on every page of the Chumash and the Sidur. Right, and so it almost seems like I I don't I didn't think of that it was really strictly in art. I thought when I think this is right. When I don't know. Wait, Ilana. Maimonides says that. Uh, in, Ilana. Right. Maimonides. Yeah. But everyone thought he was wrong. Not everyone. It says, oh, Ilana, okay. it says, Adonai <laughs> Ish Milchama. Mm-hmm. Yudke Vavke is a man of war. We say that in Shirat Hayam every single yeah, morning. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so yeah, Maimonides says God is totally abstract. <laughs> and, um, and everything we say about God is a metaphor, and you simple regular people can't really conceive of it that way, okay? The simple regular people couldn't conceive of it that way, right? Right. So this idea that God is a be, you know, the framing of it. Right. I, I mean, yes, my Rambam would certainly say God is beyond gender and transcends gender. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, but Rambam, as far as I know, you know, didn't write about, you know, and, and because everything we say about God is a metaphor, sometimes we use male characteristics and sometimes we use female characteristics. You know, I, I don't think he went there as far as I know. But okay. I'm going to I'm happy to give this to anyone as an assignment. You can go study Jewish <laughs> philosophy and um, figure out who says, you know, who says beyond gender. If they do. Um, and okay. I just don't I don't understand that your distinction between um, bless and praise. But OK, I don't, praise I don't means praise means Ilana, you are great. And bless means Ilana, I am giving you a blessing. Right. I'm, I get now that I really think about this, I'm not even understand. I don't think I really understand what blessing is in any language. And maybe that's my homework. OK, but just think about let's get basic. Think about the Torah. Think yeah. about the Tochecha in the in the the rewards and punishment and in the end of Leviticus and the end of Deuteronomy. It says if you obey the commandments and do good. Baruch atabair u Baruch atabasadeh. God, you will be blessed at in your domestic life. You'll be blessed in the in your uh, uh, farming life. Your animals will will not miscarry. You will have abundant grain and water. It means God is going to do something good for you. He is going to bestow some quality of blessing in all your endeavors. Okay. It's something that one side is granting to the other side. Okay. It has a directionality to it. Okay. I have something, I'm God. I have something that you need, fertility for your flocks. If you keep the commandments, I will bestow fertility on your flocks. I think that's what it means in Vayikra and Deuteronomy. Okay. Right. So again, it's, I have something that you need. I have the power to give it to you or not. Right. Cause we have the other side, right? If you do not keep the commandments, then your flocks will miscarry and the heavens will close up and there will not be rain and your enemies will, uh, uh, and this is Arur cursed. Mm. Right. Okay. Thanks. Sure. So yes. By the way, it's deeper than that. One could talk about it more, but yeah. that's sort of the start of it. Right? As opposed yeah. to praised, which is, wow, God, you really are great. You made the sun come. Wow, God, sovereign of the universe, you are great. You made the sun come up. You create light and darkness, which is different than I'll, I'll grant you we could discuss about what it means, but it's still different than blessed are you, God, because you create light and darkness. Okay. Okay. Be, and, and I, it may be that this is more of a problem in English than in yeah, Hebrew, I was about that. but I could, can, yeah. even in the Hebrew, if you're talking about the blessings and the curses at the end of Leviticus or the end of Deuteronomy, God will send you blessings or curses, depending on what you do. But again, it's God who is putting that thing, that outcome on you. God has control of it. God is bestowing it. We are the recipients of God's favor or disfavor. There is a 
vector of that and an asymmetry and a hierarchy. That's my point about the blessing. And your, we, your comment about what it, you know, wondering what it is in English, if that's the problem. I'm wondering if the, in the traditional, um, you know, sort of original setting, people obviously didn't pray in their vernacular, right? So the, the whole issue of what it means in another language. Yes. Moot. Correct. Yeah, correct. Right. Okay. Right. Anytime we're translating, we're, 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 we're sort of saying what we're trying to translate it into yeah, English, but, but the more core or value laden word, the more core concept or value laden a word is, the harder it is to translate it from one language to another by definition. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. There's still hands up, but I've got to call time. It's nine o'clock. Hold on to it to next time. And next time we'll uh, return to the long talk nun. Uh, Larry, what's the grandchild's name? Remind me. Millie or Amelia or Amalia Verri. Ah. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Amalia, Millie. Okay. Everyone have a good day. Have a joyous Purim. And God willing, we'll see each other next week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.